Well, tonight, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Jeremiah chapter 42, and we will continue our journey through the book of Jeremiah. We've come to a time in, in, the, in the book of Jeremiah, the, the battle that he had been warning the people of is over. The Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, has now conquered Jerusalem uh, for the third time, and uh, the puppet king that he placed there yet again has been assassinated. You remember last time? And the, there's a remnant left. And that remnant that's left, they're dwelling around the land. No buildings, no houses. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar plowed it. He wiped it all, took it to the ground. So they don't have anything. And this crazy guy who is uh, linked to King David, remember, of the royal family... He kidnaps them all. He's going to sell them all off to the, to the, to the Ammonites. And, and he wants to, to wipe them out. And, and this guy we're going to be introduced to uh, tonight, he rescues them. And he comes back. And now and as he's rescuing that remnant, I want you to keep in mind, Jeremiah is with the people wherever they go. Wherever they go, Jeremiah stays with them. So when they... Make good choices, Jeremiah's with them. When Jeremiah tells them to go left and they go right, Jeremiah's with them. He stays with the people to be that voice of God for them, to, to try to direct them and try to guide them. In chapter 42 it says, Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of Korea, Jezaniah the son of Hosea, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near. And they said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let, us, uh, let our petition be acceptable to you, and pray for us to the Lord your God, for all this remnant, so we are left but a few of many, as you can see. See, the people, after all that, after the chaos, Nebuchadnezzar, the siege, the horrible things in war that they've seen, the few number that's left, remaining now they've been kidnapped now they've been rescued they gather around jeremiah and they ask jeremiah to pray for them but there's a telling phrase in what they ask they ask jeremiah to pray to the lord your god for us and you're going to see in the heart of this people in the heart of this remnant they do what we tend to do, what we sometimes can do. That is, we make our plans, we make our, our petitions, we put together what we think is going to happen, and then when we're all done, we go to the Lord and ask God to bless our plans. And we have it backwards. The Lord spoke to me the, a while back about uh, preparing my messages. You know, when I prepare a message, I, I dive into the Word. I mean, I know what I want to study, I know the words I want to... I wanna, uh, wrestle with and the content that I want to see and as I outline the chapter and I dive in and I start building this this uh, outline of the scripture and I lay it all out and I, I got it all set and, and uh, you know through it I'm praying but typically I start by starting I start laying it out I start building it putting it together and the Lord has to remind me, where are you going? How do you know I want to go left and I don't want to go right? How do you know that that's where I'm trying to take you and, and, and not over here? And I, I think the way for us, as with this remnant, is to recognize 
hey, before we make plans, before we put our hopes together, before we come, whatever, whenever things are going on, we got to go to the Lord first. We neglect prayer way too much. Way too much. Prayer needs to be a regular part of our life. Uh, you know, for Fritz and Joni, we're just sharing, when they wake up every morning during the week, they, they get up, and Joni gets ready, and then she wakes up Fritz, and they pray together. Because that's how your day's supposed to start, in prayer. That we go to the Lord. And, you know, we, we, when we first got here three years ago, we came in and we put together a thing called Warriors on a Wall. There's 168 hours in a week. 168 hours. So what we were looking for, what we're still looking for, is 168 people that will take an hour and pray. Pray for the body. Pray. We may not even know what's going on. We might not even know what people in our body are dealing with at the hour that we're praying, but it gives us an opportunity to stand in a gap for the body, to stand in the gap. And we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 gaps in the wall. In the book of Ezekiel, the Lord said, I was looking for someone to stand in the gap, and there was nobody. The point being not necessarily that now you guys all have to sign up and take multiple hours to fill the 80 hours. The point is, we need to learn to be committed to prayer. Not just when we're in trouble, and not after we've made our plans, but we need to learn to be committed to prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing. That we're in an attitude of prayer all day long. Communing with God, seeking the Lord. Probably one of the greatest speakers I ever heard was not because he was a great speaker. Actually, he was a pretty lousy speaker in terms of being a speaker. But what was a blessing about him, he would not say five words without praying. It was hilarious. But he was so, he so wanted to be able to get, a point, get, a, get the point that the Lord laid on his heart across to the people that he would pray. Lord, really help me. Lord, I really want to, to make this point. He'd go a little further and he'd pray again. And then watching him, I was just blown away by, by his prayer life exhibited before a group of Bible college students listening to a, a guest speaker come and, and deliver an address to a bunch of guys who one day were hoping to be pastors. And just to see that heart, that heart says, man, I, I want what you want, God. I want, to, I want to be able to deliver this the way you want it delivered. I want to be faithful to the truth of your word. The Word of God declares, Let not many of you desire to become teachers, for they will fall under a stricter condemnation. Judgment. Means God holds us accountable for the things that we are to know and the things that we learn and the things that we teach. And as we go, we become more accountable based on the position that the Lord brings us in. So so the, the encouragement to us is, hey, Think about what you're desiring, because if you're desiring that, if you're desiring to be used of God and to have those opportunities that God wants to give us, then we need to be committed, committed to seeking his face every day, moment by moment. What's going on? I've shared before, you never know when that phone call's coming. You don't ever know. You think, oh, I'm just sitting down. What more can happen? I remember, I've shared with you guys before, remember about the, the father who, who ran over his little baby girl. We're in the middle of a board meeting, and the guy runs in and hands me a letter. And the letter just says, hey, 
the, uh, uh, Billy just ran over his, his baby. And they're headed to the emergency room. Can you meet him there? So I bail. I leave. I go. You know, we're there ministering to the family. The Lord took uh, that little girl home. And uh, we did the, the funeral service. And it was a blessing, the funeral service. God moved in a mighty way. You know, people got saved. I mean, it was really, you know, if, if you want to look for something to redeem out of a horrible circumstance, there was some, some bit of hope, you know, to, to cling to in that. We're at the family's house. And we're sitting down and we're, we're just eating, you know, how you get together after a funeral service and, and you know, just tell stories and visit with people. So we're sitting there visiting. And you're thinking, I mean, what really can happen? I mean, what, could, what else could go on? And my phone rings. Family calls me and says, you know, uh, our son just wrecked his dirt bike. Now, it sounds pretty mellow, right? But they had to airlift him to the hospital. and We don't know really what's wrong with him. Can you meet us at the hospital? Right after the service for that little baby. And this young man played football for me. I, I did his wedding. He has a couple of kids, you know, and, and uh, so we're well connected with the family, somebody we really care about, so pick up and go down. Now, I'm thinking all the way down the hospital. I mean, what's the big deal? He wrecked on a dirt bike. He'll be okay. Well, he wasn't, did, he had gear on. He was wearing all the stuff you're supposed to wear. I mean, how bad could this be? And we get down there, and, and we're all sitting around in the, in the emergency room. We're just kind of talking and chit-chatting, and everybody seems pretty calm, pretty okay. Well, the doctor comes out and he says, hey, I need to move you guys. I got, a, I got a room set up for you. And he takes us back to the back of the hospital. Now, my experience is that's always bad. At least so far. I'm still looking forward to the time it's not. And they take us back to that back room and the doctor says, I'll never forget, the doctor says, hey, um, we keep losing them. And we're like, oh, keep losing them? He just fell off a dirt bike. It wasn't like some crazy wreck. He just, just a normal spill. We keep losing him. We're going to try for a few more minutes. But if we can't get him, we're going to let him go. So we gather together. Father, mother, brothers, whole family. We're all gathered in a circle. And we're just praying. We're just praying. Lord, Lord, come on. You can do this, God. You can touch him. You can give the doctors wisdom, understanding, help them find what's going on, whatever. We're praying. We're praying all the way up to the time when a doctor comes back in. And I've shared with you before, he did not have to say a word. All he had to do was open the door and look at you. And you knew what he was going to say. And the whole while he's standing there, I'm thinking... Man, I just came from a funeral of a little baby. I don't even know what to say to this family. I do not know how to minister to them. I don't know how to, how to help them. I don't know what to do, God. I don't, I don't understand. I mean, all these thoughts going through my head. And the doctor said, we lost him. And his sister starts crying on the left side of the room. And his mom starts crying on the right side. His brothers are trying to be tough, you know, so they're just hanging their heads. They're not, they're not crying yet, but their dad, their dad did an amazing thing. He stood up in the middle of that place at that moment, not like 10 minutes later or after you can gather your thoughts. That, at the test, at the moment when it all hits, he stood up and he said, I bless 
your name, God. I praise you. I don't understand. But I praise your name. And I didn't have to say nothing. Because the dad was ready for the test. He was prayed up. He was connected. You know, in that moment, it's hard to get connected. You know what I mean? You got to be connected before that time comes. He was connected. He was ready. He was plugged in. He was a man of prayer. Not a perfect guy, but a man of prayer. A man who loves God. A man who loved his son. Me and, and the father went into the hospital room where, where his boy was laying there so his dad could say his last words to his boy to the body. And I'm looking at this kid that I've known since he was, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper. And I taught how to hold a football and how to, how to snap a football and how to play defensive end and all the different things and all the years and all the time I spent with him. And you're looking at him on that table and you realize you don't know what the next moment holds ever. When that next moment is crazy... A lot of times we look up to God and we want to blame him and we want to be frustrated and we want to be angry. But listen, if that's our reaction, we are in the flesh and we are not connected. And now we have to try to catch up. But if we're connected, if we're prayed up, if we're loving the Lord, when our time comes, we can be like that dad. Hey, I did the service. We retired a jersey. I mean, the kids, I mean, it was a very, very powerful thing. God moved in mighty ways again. It was a period of time where somebody died every week for six weeks at the church. Six funerals back to back to back. All tragedies starting with a little baby. There was a time during that we thought, surely this is not going to happen again. Surely this is not going to happen again. The very last one was a a homeless man breaking into a family's house, killing a a man's mother and raping his wife in front of their children. That was the last of the six weeks. She didn't die. He tried to kill her. He slit her throat from ear to ear and left her for dead. But she didn't die. Six weeks of that. Week after week after week. Now, hey, I know that uh, that's, I'm not having to deal with the worst all the time. I, there's a lot of people that have to do more and have it harder, more difficult. But during that, if I didn't learn anything in that six-week span, from baby to that last, that last issue and trying to help a, a husband, you know, get a grip on dealing with what he's feeling and a wife trying to feel like she can never be safe in this world again and all the stuff in between if i learned anything i learned i don't know what's happening in the next five minutes and it's too late to get ready in five minutes you have to be ready now you don't ever know what's going to happen and what's coming and for this remnant they've already been through so much they saw a siege. They, they, maybe some of these people were, were part of eating their babies when they died. 
And some of these people did horrible things to survive this siege. And they survived the siege and they think, okay, we got a chance. And this, this guy that the, that the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar put in charge, he seems like a good guy and he loves God and he wants to do good things. But then this guy who's, who's, who's hooked to David, connected to David, assassinates him. And then kidnaps all the people. It hasn't, life hasn't been tough enough. Now they're kidnapped, drug across the land. They think they're going to get sold into slavery. They get rescued at that moment. They're a little shook up. And they come to Jeremiah and they ask him, pray to the Lord your God for us. But as we look at the scripture, we're going to see that their hearts, the, they're having a hard time. They're having a hard time trusting God. They're having a hard time dealing with all the things that are going on in their life. They say in verse 3 that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the things that we should do. Now that's a great prayer, right? I pray, Lord, show me the way I should walk and the things I should do. I mean, ultimately, that's exactly what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're desiring. And Jeremiah the prophet said to them, listen to him. The heart of a, of a prophet. I have heard, indeed, I will pray to the Lord. Look how he turns it around. I will pray to the Lord your God. Hey, he's, not, he's not my God. He's your God too. It's the same God. It's the God that they served. Maybe they feel like life has been so crazy God can't love them or God doesn't love them because of all the stuff they've been going through and they, they can't get across that and they're looking for... for for, for a God who's far away. But you know God's not far away. God's near. He's near. The unknowable, untouchable God. He's knowable, touchable. In Jesus Christ, His Son. Through the Lord. Well, He says, hey, I'm gonna, I will seek the Lord, your God, He says, according to your words. And it will be, whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare to you. I will keep nothing back from you. Jeremiah says, hey, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to go talk to him. Whatever he tells me, however he lays it out for me, whatever he wants, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. That's an important thing, by the way, in the body of Christ. To be able to be straight with somebody about what the Word of God says in regard to a direction someone might be taking. A lot of times it's easier, it's softer, it's, uh, it's easier on us to kind of go around the bush. Maybe we still say it, but we soften it so much they don't get the message anymore. Sometimes the most loving thing you can say is, hey, you're in sin, and you need to repent. And God loves you, but this is wrong. But when we try to soften those things... You ever notice how the prophets, man, and, and we're, or we're like this morning when Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he's not being soft. Now, they don't, they don't like what they're hearing, and, and, but they've already rejected him in the heart anyways. But at least he gives them an opportunity by telling them straight up, straight to their face, here's what's wrong. This is what's wrong. I mean, there are certain things in the Word of God that will never be right. I don't care how you try to spin them. Try to make them stand on their head. It'll never be right. Right? And when we're standing in those places, we want somebody like the prophet Jeremiah who says, I'll tell you straight up what the Lord says. I'll tell you straight up. It's not about our interpretation, folks. It's right here. 
I don't have to get tricky on interpretation. I can, I can nail us all to the wall without even trying to be tricky. It's just right here, plain words. We need a prophet who does that, someone who will, who will share it with us and declare it to us that way. So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be true and a faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Man, what great hearts. They're in the right place, right? They're, 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 they're saying all the right things. Saying all the right things don't always mean you're in the right place. Right? We can always be whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. We look right. It sounds right. But let's see what's going on. Let's see what's happening. <clears throat> Whether it's pleasing or displeasing. Listen to what they're saying. We'll do whatever God tells us to do. Whether it's pleasing or displeasing. We will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you. That it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now you see, they're, they're recognizing now. They've come kind of full circle. Not your God. He's our God. He's our God. Yes, we'll, we'll, whatever our God says. Whatever the Lord lays. Whatever He tells me, I'll do. Well, you know, Jackie, I just... I just really love her. Brother, she's, she's not a believer. You know, but I, I think she's going to change. I think she'll come to know the Lord. I think things will get better. Listen, the Word of God says not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Man, you, this relationship can go no further. If you want the blessing of God, this relationship can go no further. It's got to stop. I don't like what God says. I really love her. You know, in all my years of giving that counsel, how many times someone has chosen to do what the Word says? Never. Not one time. Sometimes somewhere down the line through a bunch of chaos, it works out. Sometimes somewhere down the line through a bunch of chaos, it don't. But the bottom line is they entered into a relationship knowing that they were in disobedience to God's word and they didn't care. It's not a great place to be. But this is what it shows us, right? When we come face to face with those things, it shows us where our heart is. See, when we read Jeremiah and Jeremiah says, oh, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things and who can know it? We can all say amen, but we don't, we, we're thinking, we're saying amen for the guy sitting next to us. We're saying amen for the guy across the room. Ah, you know, my heart's pretty good, but I know that, I know that, <laughs> I know that most of these guys, their heart's kind of messed up. So, so yeah, amen for them. But when we come face to face with those things where God's word doesn't line up with our desires, I had an uncle love the Lord with all his heart. You tell me what to do with this. Love the Lord with all his heart. Struggled his entire life with homosexuality. He came out of homosexuality and he got married. He, he, he repented. Lord, you know, I know this isn't what God wants me to do. He got married and he would stay married for a while. But at some point, and usually it happened at church, He'd stumble in a relationship with, a, with a, another man, and then he's back down that road. And he'd go down that road and a while, and he knew 
He knows what the Word says, but he struggles. He's struggling with his sin and, and, and the desire to, to do what's right. It's not found within us or an understanding of the law. The desire to do what's right or the power to do what's right is found in a relationship surrendered to the Lord God Almighty, empowered by His Holy Spirit, anointed by that power, but without that. Going to struggle. So he'd come out, get married again, fall back in the homosexual lifestyle. Then he got AIDS. Now, when you get AIDS, everything changes. I mean, you know you're a dead man. The question isn't whether or not I'm going to die. Of course, that. Is true of all of us, isn't it? We just don't realize how close it is. They got AIDS and left the homosexual lifestyle for the last time. And the family, us, we welcome them in. Because that's my brother who struggles with sin. I may not get it. I might not understand it. Maybe it disgusts me, whatever. But I just have a sense of how God sees my sin. Because every stinking day, I tell a lie. I bet in my life, I've not made one day that I haven't told a lie or a fib or, or did something so that I could avoid an issue or whatever. You know, those things that you don't see coming. They just And before you know it, it come out your mouth and... Well, I'll just let it lay. Now I know what that looks like to God. Because as disgusted as I am at my uncle's sin, that's how he looks at me. And what I think I can justify by, by what I do. It's not so bad. It's just a, somehow a little white sin, right? And that's not black and dirty and nasty. So... He struggled a long time with could God forgive him for what he'd done. And he prayed, one, you know, many times he prayed. But he, he prayed, cried out to the Lord, and he fell asleep. And he wasn't too sick yet. He fell asleep, and he had a dream. And in his dream, he told us, he said, I finally know, I finally know it's okay. I'm forgiven. He said, God, come to me last night and while I was sleeping, I just had a dream of the Lord holding me. I'm in a rocking chair, and, and uh, you know, I'm coughing, and I'm sick, but, but God's sitting in the rocking chair. He's, he's holding me like I'm a little baby again, just rocking me. Because that's how God loves a sinner. That way. If we'll come back, if we'll repent, if we'll agree with the Lord and receive what God has for us, did it take away the consequences of his sin? Nope. AIDS killed him. AIDS killed him. And the only reason I do worship or play guitar today is because of him. If it wasn't him, I wouldn't play he handed me his guitar and he said, you, get, you stop playing when you're 17 and you should still be playing. Take this. Go play. Love the Lord. 
do worship. He was always, a, wherever he was, he was always in worship, always in music. That's why I play. From a man who just could not walk the road that he needed to walk, struggled with it his whole life. How's that different from us? And we all, there's some, the Bible says, the Bible's not a liar. The Bible says there is a sin that so easily ensnares you. There's a sin that so easily ensnares me. It may not be the same thing, but it's still there. It's still there to be a struggle. And we, as we deal with that and as we face that, we maybe, maybe we struggle with God's concept of sin and how can this be a sin and why is this a problem? But, and we, maybe we say the words. We can say the words, God, whatever you tell me, I'll do. But when the word of God says it's a sin, it's a sin. Period. When a word of God says, we can always point out somebody else's sin. Oh, that's an adulterer. That's a murderer. I can't believe what they've done. But actually, the Bible has more to say about people who backbite and gossip than about murderers and adulterers. And the Lord places it in the Proverbs on things he hates. But do we say, like these guys, whatever you say, Lord, I'll do? Oh, while we're talking about that, while we're talking and just mentioning gossip and backbiting, uh, the Bible condemns the one who listens as much as the one who speaks. The Bible says if there's not wood, there can't be a fire. If you won't listen, they can't tell. So you become a party to the sin just by listening. See, these guys, they said, whatever the Lord says, we'll do. Whatever God tells us. Do we say that? Do we say, whatever God tells us, I'm going to do? Because God says in His Word that you better learn how to forgive if you want to be forgiven. Doesn't He? Do we sound like them? Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. See, there's a lot of people out there who struggle with the idea that homosexuality is a sin. Let me square it for you. Homosexuality is a sin. Period. It's a sin. It's one of many sins of sexual immorality of which the church is incredibly guilty. And that doesn't mean that we should turn a blind eye to it all. That means we should repent and knock it off. And say... Whatever you say, God, I will do. Wherever you send, I will go. That's what these guys are saying, right? Life's crazy, chaos, all this heartache in their life, dealing with all these problems. But that's what they said. They said, whatever God tells us to do, we'll do it. And I hope our attitude is better than theirs. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing whether it's good or bad, whether I like it or not. That's what they're saying. There are a lot of things in God's Word I don't like. I'd like a little bit more leniency. But they're there. It happened after ten days that the Word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And he called Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest. Now, it's not very many because it's just a remnant. There's hardly any people left. 
And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, listen to the promise, and I will build you, and I will not pull you down, and I will plant you, and I will not pluck you up, for I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. The Lord says, you stay, stay here, and I'm going to build you. I know you don't have no homes, no houses, and everything's tore down, but the Lord says, this is His promise, I'll build you. I won't tear you down. He's going to raise them up. He's not going to pluck them. He's, he's going to take care of them. He's saying, man, I'm, I'm going to stop. The disaster is over. The judgment is done. It is finished. Hey, you guys stay here and live in the land of blessing and I'll be your God and you be my people. That's what God says. But he goes on. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon of whom you are afraid. Don't be afraid of him who says the Lord, or don't be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem three times already. Nebuchadnezzar was a tool in God's hand. And God said, if I say so, he'll never touch you again. He'll never be here. I will take care of you. You don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be afraid of this. Just trust me. Be here. Live here. And I'll build. And and all these things will be yours. You can have them all. And I will show you mercy. That you may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. Man. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And compassion on whom I will have compassion. God's God. He says, I'll have mercy. If he says it, he'll do it. If he says it, he'll see it through. But then he gives them a warning in verse 13. But if you say, we won't stay here, and you disobey the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we'll go to the land of Egypt, where we will see no war, or hear the sound of the trumpet, or be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. If you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared will overtake you in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid will follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you will die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They will die by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. And none of them will remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, As my anger and my fury have been poured out on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my fury will be poured out on you if you enter Egypt. And you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. And you will see this place no more. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. Remember their promise? Whatever you tell us to do. Wherever you tell us to go, we'll do it. So the Lord says, I have declared, I have this day declared it to you. I have this day 
declared it to you. Verse 20 says, For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, praying for us to the Lord, according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us and we will do it. What did he say? You were hypocrites when you sent me. How's Jeremiah know that? God told him. God said they're already planning on going to Egypt. They're already there in their hearts. What's Egypt? The picture of the world. Going back to the world. This life with Christ. This life of Christianity. This living the real deal is too hard. It's too much work. It's too difficult. It's, it's hard to stay married. It's hard to make my marriage work. You know, it's hard to live life, right? There's no easy path. There's no easy road. There's no simple way. But they, they've already made up their mind. And they're just going through the motions. Jeremiah asked the Lord. God already knows their heart. You're hypocrites. You're play acting. You're pretending like you want to do what I want to do, but you just want to do what you want to do. So the Lord says, if you do what you want to do, you'll die. That's just the bottom line. That, it, that hasn't changed, by the way. If you do what you want to do, you become your God, you'll die. He needs to be your God. If the Lord is your God, the Bible says, you will keep my commandments and my commandments are not burdensome. Now don't stress yourself out. What did, what did he just say? I got to keep the law now? No. What's the word keep mean? Treasure. Treasure his commandments. Treasure his word. Treasure the things God's told us. doesn't mean I'm perfect and I keep the law perfectly. It means that I value what God's word says. And I hold it close to my heart. And I say, man, this is how I want to live my life. Because I love God. There's no, you can't separate the two. You can't say I love God, but I hate his word. That's not possible. It's not possible. The Bible says, if you love the Father, you have to love the Son. And the Son is God the Word. And you hate the Word, you hate the Son. We want to obey the Word, we obey the Son. We keep His commandments and they're not burdensome because I love Him. I'm not perfect. I still mess up. But I treasure this. I had a, a pastor at the pastor's conference we were at say he got tested on on what he would take out of his house and his fire. He took things maybe I wouldn't take. But the first thing on his list after his wife and kids was his Bible. That's pretty good. Now I know I could get another one someplace else. But I just like mine. I just want it. I just want to stay connected. Plugged into that word. Well the scripture goes on to tell us. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent to you by me. Now therefore know certainly that you will die by the sword, by the famine, by pestilence, in the place where you desire to go to dwell. And it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them all these words, that Azariah the son of Hoshaiah, and Johanan, the son of Korea, that's the guy who rescued him. And all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, You speak false. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, Do not go to Egypt to dwell there. 
still happens today. People teach the Word of God and say what the Word of God says, and somebody stands up and says, no, that's not what it says. That's not what it means. This is a 21st century, and sin's not sin anymore. In fact, we'll, we'll just ordain sin, and sin can rule and reign and guide you and teach you the Word. Repentance is not necessary. You speak falsely. The argument's not with me. Argument's with the Word. Know the Word. Hold the Word close. And do what it says. Go where it sends. Be who it calls us to be. That's what he's challenging us to. Now, in chapter uh, 44, 43, whatever we're on, they're going to leave. And go to Egypt. And Jeremiah goes with them. Every step down the road of destruction, Jeremiah walks with them. Because that's the only way he can be the voice of God in their ears. Jeremiah is not disobeying God. Jeremiah is the only one who's doing what God wants him to do. God wants him to be his mouth. His hands, his feet. How much different than that is that what God wants of us? To be his mouth, his hands, his feet. There's a world out there dying every day without Christ. Our neighbors, our friends, people you can't even imagine, you didn't think of. I heard this last week at uh, two suicides man people are dying every minute without Jesus and we have that treasure in earthen vessels jars of clay crack pots so we leak it's okay we're supposed to leak the grace of God on whoever we come in contact with Every day. God wants us to be that voice. Loving the people with the truth of God's word. And giving men and women everywhere opportunity to turn back from Egypt. And enter into the promised land. Amen. We're going to close out tonight like we do Sunday nights. Time of prayer. We'll pray till we're done. If you got to bail. That's cool. You can bail. If you're able to stay. Great. Stay. Be a part. But I encourage you guys as we, uh, as we seek the Lord and we just set aside this time, you know, just uh, seek His face. If the Lord lays a word on your heart, share it. God gives you, uh, uh, if there's something you want to pray, pray. We're just going to have a time of open prayer and opportunity for, for uh, ministering in those things. We invite you to do it. We invite you to step out. If God gives you a scripture to share, share it. You know, and when we're done, we'll all go home. It's an opportunity for us in these last moments to just sit at the feet of our Lord and Savior and allow Him to minister life to us. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank You for an opportunity to come before You. We thank You for a chance to seek Your face and God just to uh, dwell in Your presence. Lord, we ask that You would meet us in this place. And Father, that 
you would just place upon us, God, just that, uh, that spirit of power and a sound mind, Lord, uh, the willingness to be who you're wanting us to be, to fulfill the words of the remnant, only to mean them. We don't want to go back to Egypt. We want to go where you're sending us. We want to trust in you. I believe you more than I believe the world. God, I pray that you would just help us and meet us in this place as we seek your face, Lord God. Father, we pray for the families of, of those uh, who, who uh, took their life uh, this past weekend, God, and the people who are struggling with it afterwards. And Lord, you are able to breathe life uh, where there is none, to redeem situations that are, that are so hurtful, God. And I pray that you would be a strength to those who need strength and those who are struggling. Lord, I pray that you would equip us to cross the street and tell our neighbors and our friends, invite them to come to church, invite them to know the Lord, uh, be willing to be your hands and feet out in a world that doesn't want us and wants to go the opposite way. Well, that's where you sent Jeremiah. That's where your prophets have always gone. May we go forward. May we go forward in the power of your Holy Spirit and be who you're calling us to be.